I felt like we were happy. I would say we weren't unhappy. We just weren't intentional. We didn't know how happy we are now, having found all of this. Does that make sense? Yeah, in retrospect, like, we're, we're much happier now living within our means than we were being stressed about... Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Fi Show. Well, let's first check in with the co-host, Cody. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Justin? Doing pretty good. I'm actually heading out to Florida in a few days, so even though we're getting this nice weather in Massachusetts, I'm going to enjoy some either nicer weather down in Florida. How about you, man? Yeah, I'm actually in Denver right now, and today I'm going to be going up to the Mr. Money Mustache co-working space and getting a tour from Miss Mindy Jensen over at Bigger Pockets Money and then uh, going over to her house for some tacos. So I'm pretty excited. You got mountains, tacos, Mr. Money Mustache headquarters. It's a pretty good day. <laughs> Can't ask for much better than that. And you cannot ask for much better guests than the guests we had on this past week. Justin, what did you think about the episode? I mean, it's just an incredible episode to have somebody go from one property to 11 properties. And let's not forget that this was done in under two years. But before we hop into today's episode, I just want to take a second to talk about the side hustle course that I've mentioned in the past few episodes because I've gotten a bunch of messages on all different social media platforms and email, and I thought it would just be easier to address it here. So this side hustle course is at goldcityventures.com. I've been working on it for the past six months with Jay from Fire Drill Podcast slash Millennial Boss, and man, we have just been slaving away on this. I've been working probably 16-hour days for the past month trying to get this thing ready. We have over 250 videos. We have worksheets. We have quizzes, the whole nine yards to get you started on these three side hustles. And so within the course, there are three tracks. We have blogging for profit. This is for people who maybe want to start a blog or they have a blog and they just aren't quite profitable yet. They don't know how to start making money. And basically in this course, we just tell you everything you need to know about starting a profitable blog from day one. So that's course number one. Course number two, this is kind of Julie's arena, is Etsy Digital Downloads. So for the past year, she's just been absolutely crushing it with Etsy Digital Downloads. Now, Etsy Digital Downloads, or also called Etsy Printables, are digital assets that you sell to people. So you could sell like a calendar, you could sell like wedding invitations. It's something where you sell it to someone, you don't have to hold inventory, all you do is create the item, and then someone finds it on Etsy through your keywords or through whatever, through word of mouth, they go and buy it and you make money. It's as simple as that. And so she walks you through the exact steps, setting up your Etsy shop, optimizing your listings, and getting your first sale. And so the third leg of this course is the freelancing section. And with this freelance toolkit, that's what I'm calling it, I'm going to teach you all the things you need to know about becoming a successful freelancer. So I have made thousands of dollars over the past few months freelancing. As many of you know, I quit my corporate job back in late January of this year, 2019. And one of the main reasons I was able to do that was because of the money that I was bringing in freelancing. Yes, I was building all these businesses on the side, but freelancing is one of the quickest ways to make money. Like you could literally go write a freelance article tomorrow for a publication and get money for it. Freelancing is definitely an opportunity you should take advantage of if you're just looking for some quick cash and you can also build a business on it. So that's basically the three courses in a nutshell. We have blogging for profit, we have Etsy digital downloads, and we have the freelancing course. And again, we have a four-day launch window from June 27th to June 30th. So make sure you go over to goldcityventures.com, get on the wait list so you don't miss that window because after that, we're not gonna be launching again until probably August or September with increased prices. So get in while you can. We have been putting so much work into this course. I cannot even tell you how many nights that I have probably probably sacrificed more sleep than I should have, but super pumped to launch it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have Facebook groups for accountability. There will be other people going through the course with you. Again, it's at goldcityventures.com. But enough about the side hustle course. Let's get into today's episode. 
Take it away, James and Emily. So my dad, he supported the family. My mom wasn't able to work. She had MS, or she still has MS. So my dad supported the family. We have always been on a budget. They followed Dave Ramsey. So they try to teach us, you know, obviously that credit card debt is bad. Any kind of debt is bad. They've always been frugal, but not cheap. You know, used cars, hand-me-down. I got hand-me-down clothes, not getting, you know, new frivolous things. So that's kind of been my background. So I'm not... I feel like whenever I got on my own, that kind of stuff didn't stick because I would, you know, make money and then I would immediately spend it on shopping online, getting clothes, shoes, stuff like that. So my backstory in finance is that I have zero backstory in finance. (laughs) I grew up in a family where we didn't have any money to speak of practically on a very serious sense. We didn't have any money to throw around. So you couldn't misspend it, essentially. And we would buy used everything. I mean, like thrift store for clothes. I was getting hand-me-downs from cousins and friends at school. Had cars repossessed and broke down and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, growing up, there was no debt to speak of because, like, credit cards were the devil. Debt was the devil because you didn't have enough money to pay for the debts that you You didn't have enough money to pay for the things that you already had, much less any debt that you tried to take on with credit cards or anything like that. And so I grew up in the mindset. It wasn't Dave Ramsey preaching, you know, to keep money in envelopes. It was have any money in your any account at the end of the month and you would be okay as long as you didn't have a credit card and have debt. Okay, so now we got a pretty good lay of the land of kind of how you were raised and brought up. But what about this kind of middle ground between then and obviously you guys figured out at some point, but what was it like graduating high school, going into college? Did you both get degrees? What kind of careers were you looking into? Just walk us through the rest of your start. So we actually met at the community college, which was one of our easiest ways of keeping costs low. I had a ton of financial aid from FAFSA just because my family's income was so low that that practically paid for all my schooling at the community college. And, you know, I didn't really take it very seriously. I, you know, would go to class and I changed my major like four times in community college. Right. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And at some points, even now, I still don't. But we actually met in a class, in a math class that I actually dropped, which makes sense because I wasn't taking anything very seriously at that point in my life. And I actually didn't graduate then. I ended up taking a couple of years off and then I went to another university. And then I realized that I already had enough credits for my associate's degree. So I actually graduated with my associate's degree in uh, business administration. So that's what I'm doing with everything that we have now is because or not necessarily everything, but like my job and, you know, all of my things are just from an associate's degree. It's not like I have some you know, master's or bachelor's or doctorate degree. My qualifications are that I have an associate's degree and I have a background in health because I took some nursing classes that, again, I changed my major from. So that's that's kind of where I come from. I tried to apply for scholarships and financial aid and stuff like that, but my dad always made too much money for FAFSA or anything like that. But that doesn't take into account that I never saw that money. You know, it's not like, you know, We had a bunch of extra money laying around and stuff like that. But my parents helped me out paying for my first two years at community college with the expectation that I would pay for my 
last two years, but it ended up being three years. But I, I was able to pay for that out of pocket. Well, with a little bit of help from, from James, too. So, I mean, we both came out of school debt-free. And from there, you know, we got full-time jobs. Never did get new cars or anything like my family would like for me to have. So, I'm still driving my beater from when I was 16 years old. But I never did go and get higher education, even though that's kind of been in my field. It's kind of, if you want to get anywhere or, you know, move up in the company, you kind of have to have a higher education. But... And what is your field? Systems engineering. So like at the, I mean, I guess any kind of engineering, if you want to like, you know, make more money, move higher up in a timely fashion, you kind of have to, you know, get higher education. Well, don't say higher education. Well, like that's, that okay. makes it sound like it's college. Well, like it's a, it's a master's degree, a doctorate. Master's degree. doctorate. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And just running with that same topic. So when you do graduate, what are you both earning? And then what did it look like? Because it sounds like, Neither one of you had access to much money. So I can imagine from my own experience what that's like when you first graduate and you get your hands on some money. So how much money did you have your hands on after graduation? And then what were you doing with it? So I was making $60,000 a year starting out. Yeah. And I was making $35,000, whopping $35,000 a year. So combined almost a hundred k which yeah. we thought was we were rolling in the dough. We were rolling in the money. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time. It wasn't accumulating at all because we were blowing through the dough quicker than we were rolling in it. We thought we were doing good just having $1,000 in the bank account, much right. less, you know, an emergency fund was never a priority. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even something we spoke about. And this is, this is in red, uh, like, and to put this in perspective, we live in like one of the lowest cost of living metros in the country. Like it's the best place to live if you want high pay with a low cost of living just due to all the engineers that we have and things like that. And so uh, for us to not have anything, it means we were really trying hard to not have anything. <laughs> and so knowing you guys now, I mean, you're spending what, 95, call it 70 grand take-home pay between the two of you. What in the world were you spending 70 grand on straight out of college? Did you give us a breakdown of your expenses? Going out to eat? Yeah, we, <laughs> we bought a fancy condo. And I think that that was probably the biggest one. You know, everybody says like the worry about the big three. And we did. We bought like a really expensive one bedroom, one and a half bath condo. You know, it had an astronomical HOA. And I think HOA and mortgage and all together was like fifteen hundred, a little 14, over 15. a little over fifteen hundred dollars a month, which in our area was like really high. And then we would go out to eat because we lived in this fancy condo. It was right above a bunch of restaurants. And so we would go out to eat and then like. Literally any way that you can think of wasting money, that is what we did. Like we bought <laughs> track spikes to start running. We bought a kickball for me to practice for a like a work league like kickball team. I went and bought a kickball so that I could practice. Like it was the it was like things like that. Like that's how competitive he is. Well, that too, yeah. But like money would just come in and go right back out. Just any way that we could think of that we thought it would be useful, we would just get rid of it as quickly as it came in. And let me just, just for the record, right, you are in Huntsville, Alabama? That's correct, yeah. We are. Okay. And so, like you said, it's kind of a lower cost of living area, but you are spending $70,000 a year. I would like to ask, you know, were you happy, A? Like, did you feel like, because uh, I imagine if you were, would it not be hard to kind of ever stop spending money that way? And then how in the world did you come across something that made you kind of stop in your tracks and, and change paths? I feel like we were happy. I would say we weren't unhappy. We just weren't intentional. We didn't know 
how happy we are now having found all of this. Does that make sense? Yeah, in retrospect, like we're we're much happier now living within our means than we were being stressed about I mean, I wasted money on a kickball and track spikes. Am I going to be able to buy this this month? You know, like whatever, whatever X is, you know, whether or not it was paying the mortgage or whether or not it was going out for another meal or buying tires for a car or whatever it was. So, I mean, we were happy just in the lifestyle that we were living because we just didn't know another way. And so what was the introduction to this different kind of lifestyle? Like, did you just stumble on a blog or you saw something on TV or you listened to a podcast? What was like that light bulb moment that made you say, wow, there's another way that we can do this and we could retire in what, five years from now? (laughs) It's a pretty short timeline. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was three years ago and it was in July of 2015. 16. Sorry. Yeah. July. It was in July of 2016. And I was at work at a physical therapy company that I work for. And there was a patient there who was just talking, having a conversation with her therapist. And she had said, you know, if I had found out about this blog 10 years ago, my husband and I would be retired right now. And I heard that and that really piqued my interest. And so that blog was Mr. My Mustache. And so I started talking to her about it. And, you know, to this day, she's one of our biggest fans, and we genuinely owe all of our success to her because she is the reason that we found out about this when we did, and it just happened to be that we were in the right mindset at the time, that we were open to new ideas. We had just gotten married. We hadn't, you know, started out. We were starting out at pretty much ground level. Like, it wasn't like we were starting out 10 steps behind because we had all this debt and things like that, that we could say, you know, oh, that might work for them, that might work for them, you know, and have all these limiting beliefs. So it just so happened that it came at the perfect time for us. I feel like we also weren't set in a certain lifestyle, too. You know, we were still newlyweds. We hadn't found our groove, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we were still trying to learn to live together and, you know, like share everything. And even though you weren't really submitted maybe in a certain kind of lifestyle, that's still going to be a a radical change of spending, you know, whether it is upwards of 70000 to bringing that way back. So when you first discovered this, what was that transition like? And, it, and James, you discovered this. So what was it like, you know, kind of translating that to Emily? Yeah, that's uh, I didn't come across as well as I should have. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, it's just the way that my personality is. I'm 100% in something or not. And so this was something that I was 100% in. So, you know, one day she comes home from work and I've already gone in and fiddled with the hot water heater and cut the temperature down on it. <laughs> I've cut the air conditioner to a lower setting so that it's not working as hard. I've done like so many things already to the house, just little things that I could do that I stumbled across while I was reading across the blog. And it was something that I could take action on right then. And she came home and I was like, listen, we're not going out to eat anymore. You're not going shopping anymore. Like, you're done. Cut up everything, all your cards. Give me your purse. <laughs> like, you're done. That's it. Like, And uh, actually, that went over terribly. So I had to take a step back and realize, you know, obviously I need her support on this. Like, we both need to be on the same page. And so I started doing things, took it back a step to where I wasn't constantly trying to pressure her into not spend money. And I started trying to lead by example, which was biking to work when we've got three cars and (laughs) different things like that. Just cutting expenses, eating less, not wanting to go out to eat as much, you know, not buying a kickball every time I need to or something like that. Any any expense that would come up, I would try to rationalize a way that we could work around it without doing it. And so I think that by doing that, it might have gotten her a little more invested at that point. Well, and also for me. 
I have to take a little bit to warm up to an idea. You know, at first I could be like, no, absolutely not. But then I like, I have to go into my own head and like think about things and, you know, kind of look at it from my perspective, I guess, and kind of think about it and come to my own conclusion that way. So I want to preface my next question with just a quick question. So in 2016, you discovered financial independence or at least Mr. Money Mustache. What did you cut your spending down to, like, say, the following year? That's a good question, because at that point, we were still in our condo, and we don't have the extensive spreadsheet keeping that Justin has. <laughs> so I would probably say we went from, you know, spending 70 or 80 grand a year to maybe spending 35 or 40, maybe cutting that about in half. And obviously, since then, we've, we've cut it even more than that. I wanted to preface this next question with that, because something that I struggle with is just like, I'm sure you were living differently than most people in your age demographic. For some context, James is, what, 28 and Emily is 27? Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's okay, correct. Okay, so I, I can imagine you're living a lot differently than a lot of other people in your age demographic. If people are just starting to make real good money, they're 27, 28, maybe they've got their first promotion. Has it been difficult keeping the same friends and hanging out and doing normal stuff? Do you feel like you're depriving yourself and not being able to do things that quote unquote normal people are doing? Yes and no. I feel like it is hard to find friends. And I guess we don't really, in a way, have the same friends. But it's also, you know, they have moved up to different cities. And they, you know, are married, have kids, or, you know, it's just hard to see them, you know, very often. But I also feel like it's family, I guess. It's just hard to to hang out with certain people when you don't have the same interests, too. So, I mean, they're... Interest could be shopping or going out to eat and stuff like that. But we, it's hard to have a conversation whenever you don't share those same interests. And the only way that you can spend time with them is by going out to eat or shopping or something like that. And we, you know, hard to find the common ground. I think it's also easy to, to look at it as, okay, we're growing apart from these people because of X, which would be X in this case would be financial independence, right? Because we are focusing on saving money, we are not hanging out with these people as much or these people as much. But a lot of these people don't live near us anymore. And so we just kind of, it's just a natural progression, I think. And it's easy to say that it's because of financial independence. But even before we were trying to pursue financial independence, some of these people we didn't see very often. And so it's easy now to say like, okay, well, you know, because honestly, at this point, the only thing that we would have in common is that you know, we would spend money on meals at restaurants. And if that's the only thing you have in common, then there's not really a whole lot that you can connect on. And so by eliminating going out to eat and using that as the the catalyst for a conversation with these people, then, you know, you're just naturally going to grow apart anyway. I think that's a really good point and something that a lot of people in this space can struggle with. I mean, I know for me, the people around me, they've gotten to know who I am and they know what my deal is. And they know if, Hey, if I go sit down at a restaurant just to conversate with them, but I don't eat, like it's not being weird. That's just, that's just my shtick. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> but once you get to a certain point, right, where you've cut back your expenses as much as you possibly can, your income is what it is. What did you look to next to try to accelerate that path towards financial independence? Cause I know you said you're either hundred percent in or hundred percent out and it sounded like you're hundred percent in. So what was the next thing you looked towards? So we looked into investing in real estate to accelerate our path to financial independence. James, being his personality, went headfirst and did all the research that he could on 
investing in our market and I don't know all the real estate blogs that are out there what we need to look for when it comes to the one percent rule and renting and buying and I don't know just a whole nine yards all right, Emily. So James goes all in. I mean, what are the next steps? Does he literally just go out and is James this hardcore that he goes out and he's like, hey, babe, I bought a house yesterday. Or what was that kind of whole process like? Like, <laughs> did you guys both look at houses together at auctions or did you go on the MLS or on websites like Zillow? Like, what was the actual process like of getting that first property? So I guess technically our first property would be the condo after our extravagant loft. And so actually wasn't on the market. It was one of the make me move listings on Zillow. We found it and had gone back and forth with the realtor because it was listed for rent at first and then she took it down. It was listed as a make me move and then she took it down and listed it for rent and then we came in with a lower offer because she was obviously motivated because the tenant had turned in their notice. Okay so this condo was a fourth of the price of our loft and I guess half the size. It was kind of the same, you know, one bed, one bath, kitchen, living room, everything, but it was just downsized. So it was kind of a a big decision to go move from, you know, this big loft in a, you know, a nice trendy part of town to this condo that, you know, is just on the street, but a fourth of the price. And so from there, We lived in there for about a month, and I got an offer to go on a temporary assignment to St. Louis. So yeah, the the process, it looked like me assessing every deal that came on the market, and after assessing so many deals and, you know, figuring out this one looks good, that one looks good, whatever, I started bringing those deals to Emily for her final approval, essentially, right? I would find the deals... And then depending on how good I thought the deal was, depending on how hard I kind of pressed it to her, or, you know, I would essentially show her like, hey, what do you think of this place? And she'd be like, oh, I think it's okay. And so then I would kind of move on to the next one, that kind of thing. Well, so especially at the beginning, we were looking at all the properties together. Now I would get her input and then I would say like, okay, well, I think we should offer this much. Mm -hmm. And she would agree. But it was always after her approval on which place, like if she thought that the place was decent, I would explain the criteria. And at the same time, because I am head in, sometimes there are blind spots, right? Like I overlook things that I might not should in an eagerness to to get a place. And so Emily will, you know, bring up like some criticisms of it. And it's very helpful for me because I'm like, okay, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's shit. So we need to go on to the next one. That kind of thing. (laughs) So it's been it's been really useful. And so we look at all the places essentially together. There have been a couple places that I looked at first or like she looked at. And then we end up looking at them together before we actually close on it, that kind of thing. But yeah, I essentially bring the deals to her and then suggest what we should offer. And then we run the numbers on it together. I explain what we think we could cash flow, that kind of thing. And we make a decision from there. It's funny because I'll try to look at listings on the market and I'll think that one's a good deal and I'll send it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I looked at that. And it's, you know. It's not, it's not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know from y'all's story that it didn't just end with that first condo that y'all kind of kept the train rolling. So I was wondering if you could walk me through, did you ever find kind of a a stride where you're getting similar type houses that maybe need the same kind of work that are around the same price point? Like, did you find your happy place on the houses you're buying? Absolutely. So at the beginning, especially, we were just like essentially looking at Zillow and I would price them from low to high or on the MLS, I would price them from low to high and just to get a feel for what was on there. 
And then after a point, I had seen every deal that was on there. So I just started looking at them newest first. And so, you know, a deal would pop up and I would check it out. And at the beginning, especially, it was just like price was a big motivator. And so, you know, we are looking at lower price places. So we found four properties for under 50000 a piece. And three of those were duplexes. So that put us at seven properties for under fifty grand a piece, which is a pretty good deal. And we look for them in a certain area, and we, we kind of have an idea of this area is kind of gentrifying, or this area is in the path of growth, or this just happens to be the cheapest condo in an area that is, that's overrun by single-family homes, but it's in a good school district and things like that. So it's not necessarily for a family, but it's for people that want to live in a nicer area, that kind of thing that might not be as big of a market for, you know, a single or two people because they're looking for a house to grow into in a good school district, that kind of thing. So that's really our bread and butter is buying lower price places that are multi-unit and that we can do a little bit of value add to just by painting some things and different stuff like that. I was going to say a little bit of value add because for people who don't know, I stayed with James and Emily probably like three or four weeks ago now. And these guys like did up a house in what, like two weeks? (laughs) Like you did all the flooring when we were over there. Emily was painting the entire kitchen. Like you guys are just a well-oiled machine at this point. (laughs) I'm sure you've definitely progressed since that first property. So is that pretty much kind of the whole thing? You redo the floors, like redo the bathroom, do some painting, and then the property will probably appreciate by what, like $20,000, $30,000? Yeah, to give you an idea, like we, we usually go in and paint kitchens because that's an easy thing to do. We paint the cabinets. And, you know, take them from like an older looking wood to like a a newer, modern looking, you know, charcoal or whatever the color may be. And we usually paint the interior of all the places the same color to keep it uniform. And also it's much easier when we have to go in and touch up a place. So it just so happened that like we picked up like one of those oops colors that they've pre-mixed at Home Depot. And they had it in a five gallon bucket and I negotiated them down to it was it started out at one hundred and fifty six dollars. And I ended up paying like 30 something dollars for this five gallon jug. And so that's how we determined <laughs> what color we were going to paint all our dupli- or all our properties. <laughs> and we just go in and essentially it depends on each property. Like we kind of assess it from there. Usually we do the kitchens, the cabinets. That's an easy thing to do that doesn't take a whole lot of time that really increases the curb appeal. The curb appeal is really what we're interested in. Some places, you know, if they've got really bad carpets, then we'll pull it up and replace it with you know, luxury vinyl planks or even new carpet if the floors are bad enough. But yeah, that's that's essentially what we do. It's really, it's not a whole lot of structural stuff. All the kitchens stay in the same places, all the bathroom, all the appliances stay in the same places. And we just go in and try to paint because it's amazing what, you know, a little bit of paint will do and some flooring will do for some cover peel. Awesome. And just to give us like a frame of reference, how much time was between when you bought your first place to when you bought your last? And then how many units is that total? So this weekend, two years ago this weekend, was when we bought our first duplex. Just under two years. Yeah, it's been just under two years for us to get 11 units. Wow. So just under two years to get 11 units. How are you paying for these things? Like, how are you financing them? So we're actually going through a traditional mortgage lender. When we first went with this lender, we let her know that we were going to be investing in multiple properties and obviously getting more than one mortgage. And so she kind of took that and ran with it and tried to work with us and trying to find, you know, run my credit, run James's credit, see who gets the best interest rates, you know, put so many in my name, put so many in James's name, stuff like that. So we're just doing traditional mortgages. So, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we pretty much told her at the beginning that we wanted to buy, you know, 10 or more. And so at that point, she, she obviously knows the lending criteria. And after five, it gets pretty stringent. And so she would strategically put one in my name and then one in Emily's name and then one in my name. Or, you know, Emily got two in a row, that kind of thing. It just depended on how our credit recovered, who could get the better interest rate, what they thought would go through underwriting quicker. That's the way that we've been financing all of them. All of them have mortgages right now. Even though they're such low-priced properties, we've managed to find places that'll give you a mortgage for under for around thirty or thirty-five thousand. Since we're putting down payments on all these places, so that's that's been a pretty good thing for us. So, if you're putting down ten, fifteen thousand dollars on each of these houses as a down payment, are you doing anything else other than real estate? Are you hundred percent real estate? Like, are you taking any money and investing in four hundred one ks, IRAs? Yeah. So we max out. 401k, and then we max out IRA, and then anything left over from that, that's what we pour into real estate. Now, with that being said, we're not maxing out both of our 401ks. Emily's 401k is getting maxed out, and then we're maxing out both of our IRAs, and then anything after that is getting put into real estate. Yeah, you know, just the extra scraps into your 11 properties in two years. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot of finance nerds, myself included, listening to the Fi Show. Could we just get into the numbers a little bit? Like, what is the net cash flow looking like on these real estate properties? And at what point was that net cash flow actually covering your expenses? Because we didn't even get to what you spend now. I know the year after you said you're like down to 35 or 40, but now you're spending what? So we're probably, I think if we like get down to the nitty gritty, we're around 12 grand or under. I actually think it's under 12 grand, but Emily seems to think that. No, I was going to say not counting the money that we have to put into our properties. Right. Okay. So not counting any investments into real estate, you know, anything like that, because those are kind of their own animal. We're spending less than, I think we're probably at 10 grand a year. So to give you an idea of what that $10,000 looks like, we live for free. We live in a mother-in-law suite of in a single family home that we bought. And so our tenants buy their rent, pay for, I mean, all of our living expenses. They cover the mortgage, the utilities, the internet, literally everything. So we're living for free and we don't eat out very much. We spend $40 a week on groceries. We travel hack. So we use credit card points. And so some people are probably wondering, how do you travel hack with credit cards and hit the minimum spend bonuses? We end up using a lot of the real estate purchases, different things like that to maximize those points. And so we travel for free. We don't spend a lot of money on food. We both drive really old vehicles. We bought a 2007 Nissan Versa two years ago, a little over, or right, yeah, right at two years ago now. And we bought it for $2,000. And that's a story that we really haven't told a whole lot of is that we ended up buying a, after we got married, we ended up buying a Volkswagen Golf TDI. And it was one of the ones that got recalled with Dieselgate. So once Dieselgate got announced, all the prices just plummeted on TDIs and all Volkswagens, really. So we ended up buying one before they announced what the recall and what their resolution was going to be. So we bought it for $9,000, and we ended up selling it back to Volkswagen a little over a year later for $23,000. <laughs> so that was, and then once we sold it back to Volkswagen, we ended up taking 2000 of that and buying this Nissan Versa. And so Emily drives a 97 Camry. I drive a 07 Versa that we got for two grand. And we really don't spend that much. There's not a whole lot of discretionary spending. We 
eat out occasionally. We eat out with friends mostly. We don't really go out by ourselves. We prefer, you know, a night in to a night out. We work on the rental properties together. We do a lot of things together. We bike and stuff like that. But a lot of our spending isn't for happiness. It's for necessities. The rental properties surpassed our spending because our spending is so low pretty quickly. It only took seven or eight properties to really surpass what we were what we were spending. And the last few that we've gotten have been kind of higher income properties, higher price, higher income. And so now we're more than double, more than triple actually what we spend in a year off of our real estate income. So we are the cheapest fat fi you've ever heard of. <laughs> So if you're at triple what you need coming in, you know, it sounds like you're probably at a good place to go do whatever you want to do. So what does the future look like? I mean, how many properties is enough properties and and just what does the the road look like going forward? So we think that 10 is really the the number. We've got 11 now. So we're actually ended up, we've listed a property. So to be the quick accumulators, now we're trying to sell off one of them that's just got the highest interest rate. It's the lowest cash flow and it's the highest mortgage amount. And so we're actually selling that one off, just kind of paring down, getting down to what we really think that we need. Plus, we're going to net a little bit of money off of it because the market's so hot right now. So our end goal actually is to move to Cyprus later this year, which is a little island in the Mediterranean. And actually, we're going to continue to live in a mother-in-law there because Emily's grandparents have a house there. And she just got her EU citizenship and I've applied for mine. And so we're going to rent the mother-in-law apartment from her grandparents and we're going to renovate it a little bit, fix it up with some of our newfound skills in real estate and renovations and things like that. And so that's going to be, that's going to be keeping us occupied for hopefully the rest of the year after September. And so does that mean you're both quitting your jobs in September? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I think a little before September, hopefully. (laughs) One of the few places where people cheer when you're 27 and 28 saying yes, you're quitting seriously. your job forever right. <laughs> is on this podcast. The rest of our, the rest of uh, the people we know are like super worried about it, obviously. I haven't really told my family that much. They know, but Emily's family are very much in it because they're trying to help us coordinate the move to mm-hmm. Cyprus and things like that. And so to them, they just they don't really understand it. I don't think that they've kind of, um, yeah, they don't understand it because... One, they don't understand quitting this early, but they also, it's almost like they think of it as a pipe dream. Sometimes it feels like that to me too. I mean, admittedly, if you have no idea about FI and you haven't really prioritized finance and your 27-year-old daughter comes up to you and says, hey, we've got a couple rental properties and me and my husband, who has convinced me to do this, are going to quit our jobs and move abroad, (laughs) right? Like you would think that they're, you know, it's one of those things like, okay, she's got some far-fetched idea again, you know, so I can understand the the skepticism, especially if you don't understand the math behind it. And it's not hard to understand, but you, you still have to be an open mind or you still have to have an open mind when you're learning about it to really grasp that it, that it can happen. And speaking of the math behind it, do you think that this extremely low level of spending that you have now in Huntsville, Alabama is going to translate when you move to this you know, little island in the Mediterranean. I think it will. I think that our costs will be a lot lower since we're, you know, going to rent out our mother-in-law suite that we live in now. I don't think that we're going to be so cheap that we won't go and eat out or go get coffee by the beach or, you know, stuff like that. We are planning to buy a car while we're over there, help out where we can. We're also paying rent to my grandparents, which isn't very much, but... Yeah, we've projected our spending. And it actually comes out like not counting, you know, buying a car and renovating the house. 
which to us isn't going to cost that much anyway because we're going to do a lot of the DIY stuff and we're going to buy an old used car just like we normally do. So we project our spending and it's still right at 12000 a year, a little bit over. And that's even with some discretionary like meals out and a bunch of coffee out. And, you know, we're still planning on traveling and different things like that. And so we're we're trying to factor some of that in. But a lot of costs there are actually a lot lower. So I know one thing that the early retirement police might come after you is, hey, you guys are 27, 28 years old. Obviously, you're both grinding right now, both working full-time jobs. In your spare time for fun, you go and renovate real estate properties for extra money. What does life look like in terms of the the things you're going to do to actually fill your time? I know we've literally just touched on like just a sliver of your story. I know you both have done powerlifting together. James, you've done bodybuilding. Emily's a fantastic cook. You both bike together. You both do all this fun stuff. What does life look like in Cyprus? Or maybe you'll move back to these states at some point. But I just love to kind of hear what that looks like. So the early retirement police are going to absolutely hate me (laughs) just because I'm so motivated that, you know, once I once I get something done, I kind of move on to the next thing. And, you know, at first that's going to be renovating the apartment for us to have clean, you know, stable place to live in without any issues. But then after that, you know, I'm going to move on to whatever piques my interest next, whether or not that's setting up some kind of tour abroad or whether or not, you know, I'm going to offer some kind of course or, you know, do personal training in my spare time because I enjoy fitness and things like that. And Emily, obviously, she has her own hobbies and interests as well as the ones that we share. So there's not a scenario where we see ourselves just sitting back on the couch and watching Netflix or just, I mean, there are days that we might just spend the whole day at the beach, that kind of thing. But at the same time, like we don't foresee ourselves not doing anything in the future. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to seek out ways to make money, but there are ways that you can enjoy yourself and make money at the same time. So if that's if that's something that you're passionate about, then why not do that? I speaking of me being a good cook, <laughs> I would like to utilize my time over there with my grandparents. My grandmother is an amazing cook and I would like to learn all of her the traditional Cypriot recipes, you know, kind of take notes of those and have recipes because I mean, my dad knows the recipes, but he also like he doesn't write them down. It's just like, oh, you put a little bit of this and that in there kind of thing. So it would be nice to learn from her and be able to like recreate those, but also to kind of, you know, hear their stories too, I guess. But we also want to learn Greek whenever we get over there. Some of the universities over there offer free Greek classes to people. We also want to tour the island. Whenever we go over there, it's a lot of visiting family. We don't really get to explore and drive around and stuff like that. So we like to do that and travel around Europe, travel to Portugal, Malta, the cheaper places (laughs) at first. (laughs) And if you're going to be, you know, renovating the place you're living in, you're learning the language, it sounds kind of like you're getting somewhat entrenched in that area. So is that some place where y'all are thinking is going to be home for a very long time? Or do you have an end date on this trip? At least long enough for Cody to come stay. (laughs) I'm kidding. You're kidding. Um, Well, no, no, no. That's not. That's not the end. He meant both of us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was the joke. We don't. We don't have a set date in mind. We plan on moving there later this year, but we're kind of taking it by ear once we get there because we don't know what the future holds for us. We don't know whether or not we're going to have kids. Whether or not you know any of these things that you know, may happen or may come up. So we're just planning on going over there, enjoying ourselves for the first couple of years, maybe. And if, if it's somewhere that we can see ourselves forever, then we might just stay over there and travel, you know, over here to visit family and things like that. Or there might be a point in the future where we want to move back. 
So we, we really just don't know. It's hard to make a decision for your future self when you're going to be so different when you get there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. One last question I wanted to ask before we wrap this thing up is, do you suggest real estate is like the best path to financial independence? Is it for everyone or is it kind of a situation by situation type of thing? So I think real estate is for everyone. I don't think that everyone should manage real estate. I think that there's a big difference there. Now, some people just don't want to be involved in real estate in any way, shape or form. So REITs and different things like that, you know, offering the hard money lending, like doing fundraise or different stuff like that. That's an easy way to diversify yourself into real estate without having to worry about a tenant calling you and their, you know, toilet stopped up or something like that, which I'll tell you has never happened. Everybody talks about how, you know, they're going to get a call at 2 a.m. over a stopped up toilet and it hasn't happened yet. Granted, we've only been managing for two years, so we'll see. But with that being said, I do think that real estate can be the fastest path to FI. It can really magnify it because you can use leverage and things like that and still cash flow the whole time. So you're not only making money on the cash flow itself, but they're also paying down the mortgage. And so you're you're kind of hedging your bet that way. But there is more risk involved. So it's it's definitely more risky than just plugging away at your index fund. But our goal was to get there as quick as possible without obviously living under a bridge or anything like that. There were some compromises that had to be made on my part that we weren't living in the back of a van or something like that to get there as quick as possible. But I do think that real estate can be useful for everyone because it doesn't necessarily correlate with the real estate market. So if you're worried about a stock market drop, then maybe the real estate will help. But right now, both are at all-time highs, so everybody's worried about both of them. So I can't really help you there. Well, even though it's increased risk, it has clearly worked for you. I've never heard on anyone retiring in their 401k or with an index fund in two years. You guys hit the Usain Bolt path to five, two years or less. <laughs> if people want to follow up with you, maybe learn more about you, your story, connect with you, where's the best place that they can do that? It would probably be at our blog, rethinktheratrace.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, the whole nine yards. <laughs> All the socials. All the socials. <laughs> All right. And one question that we always ask every guest is just what is the one tangible tip that you have for somebody who's, you know, going towards that path of financial independence? I'd say don't compare yourself to others. Comparison is a thief of joy. So, I, you know, if you compare yourself to others, you know, you're always going to be trying to keep up with the latest fashion trends, the nicest car, the nicest hair, you know, whatever it may be. So I just... Don't compare yourself to others. My one tangible tip for people that are getting started on the path to FI is you have to start somewhere, right? Whether or not you want to jump in in real estate, whether or not you haven't even started your 401k, whether or not you haven't saved anything or started a budget, just start and track your spending. I think that tracking your spending is probably the most important thing to know where the money's going. If you don't know where it's going, then that's probably your biggest problem right now is that it's seeping out of holes that you can't fill and you don't know where they are. That's the problem, right? At least once you track your spending, you can see where the holes are and start to try to plug them there. All right. And so the last question of the podcast, and obviously the most important question is the wildcard question. I'm not prepared. Justin's not prepared. You guys are definitely not prepared. So when we kind of get into this frugality mindset, I know you guys literally cut your spending down by like 85%. And at some point in that path, I've been very guilty of this. Sometimes you over frugal to the point of being a cheap weirdo. I want to hear the craziest cheap weirdo story you have as a couple. Okay, so <laughs> this story this story is about me, but James tells it better. Well, I mean, he's better at telling stories, so I'll let him tell it. Okay, so this is when 
we we had not been long on the pacify. We had recently found out about it, and Emily had recently clearly gotten on board, as you'll see from the story. So we were at our condo, and we had some friends over, and we went downstairs to eat uh, at a restaurant downstairs, and we're all sitting in this booth, and we're looking at the menu, and Emily decides that, you know, she doesn't want to pay a dollar extra for cheese. On she's, a burger. On a burger. Yeah, she doesn't want to pay a dollar extra for cheese on her burger. She's she's had it. That's the, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> so she asks all of us to kindly let her out of the booth. And then she leaves the restaurant, goes upstairs to our condo, and comes back down and slaps a piece of, like, a craft single <laughs> on her burger that she brought from our house. And... My sister was there, her sister was there, their husbands were there. It was like, it could have been the most embarrassing thing in the world, and it was to them, but to me, it was, one, hilarious, and two, like, like, she is going to out-frugal me, which is a real (laughs) issue. You were like, God, that's hot. That's so hot. (laughs) Well, James, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, your story is just straight up bonkers. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's kind of like tying back into that uh, comparisons of Thief of Joy. I hope people listen to the story and just get motivated and don't try to get like depressed that they're not going to hit fi in two years because it's probably not going to happen for most people. But this is really cool to show like a way that it can happen. So I really appreciate y'all coming on and giving us some time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is a blast. Man, Justin, this episode was a long time coming. I know James has been bugging me. He's like, hey, haven't seen myself on the podcast yet. And I was just so excited to finally get James and Emily on because their story is honestly insane. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. It's like neither one of them came from a background where they really talked a lot about finances. And James came from a you know a very poor background. And then they kind of do what a lot of people do. You know, they, they graduate, they get normal jobs, and they start spending it all. And they go get this condo that's way too expensive. But luckily for them, James discovers Mr. Money Mustache at work, and it kind of just turned their life around. And the fact that they turned their life around that quickly is just like the craziest story ever. Because I tell people about James and Emily, I'm like, I'm friends with this couple. They're 27 and 28. They're retiring this year. And like four or five years ago, they didn't even know this thing existed. I just like, it's literally the Usain Bolt path to file, like I mentioned in the episode. They hit fi in less than two years, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every time we talk to them, their expected retirement date just kept coming back and back and back. And now all of a sudden, they're going to be retiring here in a couple months and uh, moving off to Cyprus. And that just sounds like a whole new life journey. And like they both said, it seems like they're clearly go-getters. When I stayed down there with them for a couple of days, literally it was Saturday, Sunday. We're just working on a house the entire day. Like that was their fun is going grinding, making more money in their side hustle. So clearly these guys are not just going to be sitting back, relaxing. I'm sure they'll have their fun beach days with their margaritas in hand, but they're still going to be working on stuff in their spare time because that's just kind of the type of people they are. Yeah, I think that's a big point to kind of call out because some people may see a story like that or a lot of people's stories and say, well, I don't want to come home and work on extra stuff. I'm already working all day. Well, guess what? Some people actually enjoy this stuff. You know, they enjoy what they're doing. So it's not like a burden and they have so much motivation behind it because they see how quickly that's getting them to fire. So I don't think they have any problems convincing themselves to, to go paint some cabinets on the afternoon. And while real estate was the vehicle that James and Emily used, like they said, real estate or at least managing real estate is not for everyone. They mentioned that Huntsville, Alabama is literally like the prime real estate location. I mean, they're getting properties that are hitting the 2% rule, which means that if they bought it for $100,000, they'd be able to rent the whole thing for two grand, which is literally just 
crazy. You do not see those types of price to rent ratios where Justin and I are up in Massachusetts. So they know they've got the advantage. They take advantage of the advantages that they're given. But even though James and Emily said that owning or managing real estate is not for everyone, there are a lot of ways to dip your toes in the water, whether it's a REIT, whether it's a syndication, whether it's hard money lending, there are all these other ways to kind of just at least dip your toes in the water because real estate is a great diversification tool and it kind of just gets you outside of that stock and bond bubble. Yeah, Cody, man, that's a really good... Whoa. What was that, Justin? Oh, man, it's the call to action, Cody. And this week's call to action is all about research. So get out there and research your local area and figure out, are you in a prime place for real estate investing? Can you hit the 1% rule? Are there multiple types of income in the area? And if not, look into some of those other types that Cody mentioned, whether it's REITs, where you're just buying real estate through Vanguard, just like all of your other stocks. Or maybe it's hard money lending. Maybe it's even Airbnb being a room out in your house. Just do some research and see if there is something in your life where you could utilize real estate to help you get to file a little faster. That's an awesome call to action, Justin, because housing is honestly one of the biggest expenses in most people's lives. And if you can kind of twist that and turn housing into some kind of income producing asset, you can really take a leap forward in your path to FI. So if you want to hear more about James Emily, read about all the show notes we talked about today. You can see that at thefyshow.com slash RRR. That's for Rethink the Rat Race. It's thefyshow.com slash RRR. And if you want to join one of the most exciting, riveting, inclusive groups on the internet, join our Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. And again, we are loving these rating and reviews. We've gotten some awesome reviews lately. People saying that we're helping them achieve five faster, giving them valuable information. It really motivates Justin and I, and it also gives us that credibility. So when we reach out to a new high caliber guest, they look back at the five show, say, hey, awesome. These guys have 60 five-star ratings. They must be a legit show. Really helps us get those top quality guests. And as always, thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.